0: I actually hope that there's a future where it's just generic term developers and that uh, uh, just like you said, uh, platform agnostic where yeah. developers building apps and uh, mainframe just like any other cloud platform just ends up being yet another deployment platform. And you shouldn't have to have kind of platform centric skills to be able to productive, to be able to be productive on, on, on delivering applications that provide value on, on a specific platform.
1: Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Dez. I'm your host, Dez Blanchfield, and today I have the pleasure of having on the show Sujay Solomon from Broadcom. Hi, Sujay. How are you? Hi, Dez. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, uh, just briefly to introduce your role, and then we'll dive into a bit of background on yourself before we dive into the role you're a global product manager at Broadcom uh, for a whole range of things around the IBM Z platform, DevOps, uh, CLI enablement and so forth, and the whole developer world, which I'd love to dive into in a bit more detail because uh, we are kindred souls in that space. Uh, but uh, could we maybe just get a little bit of background on you personally uh, before we kick into the, your role and I guess the, the whole world of Broadcom and so forth? So, you know, where are you originally from? What's your academic and career path? Uh, like and any fun anecdotal highlights you can share there to sort of give uh, listeners a little insight into you personally maybe?
0: Sure. Uh, so, you know, uh, childhood, I'm, I'm actually from a, a southern city in India called Chennai. Um uh, used to be known as Madras. And uh, I got my first computer 96 or 97. My, my dad uh, got me a computer and we got internet pretty quickly after that. And that was kind of my introduction into the world of computers and computer science. And Eventually moved to the U.S., went to college at, at Penn State, uh, which is still the, the state that I'm in. I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm on the the western side of it in, in Pittsburgh, yeah, yeah. snowy Pittsburgh. Uh, used to be on the eastern side, but I've, I've been here uh, ever since I started working at, at CA Technologies and in, uh, currently Broadcom. I've been in Pittsburgh for about eight years now. Uh, but Penn State my, my uh, engineering degree was in actually computer engineering which is uh, not entirely uh, software it's uh, it's uh, more oriented towards uh, hardware side of things and some electrical things so that was actually my my passion and in, in uh, school was more so kind of getting into the hardware development and then firmware things like that uh, but in that experience in in school uh, i was exposed to a little bit of uh, assembly level uh, programming uh, uh, we were we were doing things from some very simple things just you know adders and then, and and such and uh, from there i looked for some uh, from roles where you know i can keep doing some of these uh, system level low level programming uh, which, for whatever reason, I, I liked. I know it's not a very popular thing. Uh, so I, I got an offer to uh, kind of uh, build out this this uh, design and build out this uh, control system using a, a, a very simple microcontroller, a Motorola, let me think, I think it was like a 60... 68, 70 or something like that. It was wow. a, a, <laughs> a microcontroller to uh, this innovative thing where they were trying to uh, move some ozone gas from a cylinder into this this uh, washing machine, which uh, instead of using water and detergent, it used ozone gas. Um, and I was responsible for building a, a microcontroller that, that controlled how much bio- gas was going in and out of the thing. And that... I did that. It was a startup, and I spent about a year there, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, working in a startup is a, like an experience like no other, and it was a lot of fun. But at some point, I said, you know, I'd like to have some health insurance. You know, if something could go wrong. I'd I'd, I'd like that. <laughs> so that's that's when I uh, I started looking for for something beyond a, a startup and. Uh, Found uh, this. This uh, actually, I, I posted my my resume and they and and at the time, CA reached out to me through Penn State and and said, you know, it looks like you've got some interest in kind of system level programming and such. Uh, we've got a couple of roles open here if you if you're interested in interviewing. And I was like, nah, what what is this this mainframe thing? And I heard about it in some movies. And I think they said uh, uh, we got to hack the mainframe. So that's all <laughs> I knew about it. That was a great movie, <laughs> I, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I went went uh to Pittsburgh went to an interview and then from there it's it's been a good ride I did a lot of um kind of uh software engineering development uh both kind of very low level uh, assembly language see uh, you know system oriented products like some of uh, our products like, like MIM which was a, a product that kind of let you share uh, DASD between multiple LPARs, uh, SysView performance management product. A lot of these things were very low level things and then at one point I said to myself you know uh, you've been working on this this kind of system level stuff for quite a while and you're kind of digging yourself into this this one platform mainframe here and i was concerned just i was enjoying it a lot but i was a little bit concerned and i told myself you might want to expand your horizon so i went and within at the time ca i went and found a, a position where we were doing more web development right uh, and, and moved over there did some of that and then eventually moved into kind of product management from there and uh, i've been leading a couple of teams initially uh, very closely with them taking kind of business uh, requirements and translating them into uh, some, some technical requirements that, that the development teams could work on. And my role at the time was a product owner. And from there, we've been to product management and uh, it, it kind of came out of this, this uh, innovative organic idea that we had that helped us as developers who were working on the mainframe platform be more productive uh and that actually led my path in the in the product management where because this this thing turned into a real product right instead of just being a tool that we were using internally so i'll be sharing a lot more about that uh, down the line and during the podcast but that's kind of that's that's me <laughs> wow that is awesome i hope you write a
1: book about that one day it's uh <laughs> that's an amazing journey and and there's a number of key takeaways and i mean i Growing up in a city with, what, I think last time I looked, about 7 million people in Chennai on the, on the west coast of India to now, what, Pens- Pennsylvania State and uh, Pittsburgh on the west coast of the US with probably, th- what, 300,000 people in the city? That must have been an interesting culture shock. You talked about the whole sort of development space in, in the mainframe platform. Uh, yeah, people talk about an inflection point around the mainframe space and so forth. I mean, development for the mainframe at the moment, is it really an, at an inflection point? I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're having to overcome in that space right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think that folks have come to realize, and you know, for for decades, I guess when I, I was growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, uh, there was sort of this 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 hypothesis that this platform is on its way out, and then the code that runs on it is is eventually going to be replaced by something else on on some platform, Java, whatever it is. That hasn't really happened, right? And and uh, I, I think where we are today is a lot of the folks who kind of kept that running for all this while, they're at a point where they're maybe looking to buy a home in Hawaii and then move there. So I'd say that's <laughs> one inflection point. Uh, and the other one is uh, the fact that there's new folks coming into the platform. Uh, they grew up with with linux they grew up with with git and and and, uh using tools like jenkins and such and 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 we've got to bring the platform to them we don't we can't bring them to the platform and then that just would be Counterproductive in, in, in my uh, perspective uh, because I went through that myself and I know that's one of the reasons why I actually went after that web development role and I don't want that to continue happening because what happens to all this 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 you know decades of business logic that that's built up and and it provides so much value that the the world economy essentially runs on on the code that runs on the mainframe platform and uh, taking that. And, and rewriting it or moving it elsewhere, that's that's just so risky. And, 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 and considering the, the value that's involved there, I mean, why would anybody want to undergo that, that sort of transformation yeah. effort uh, with, with the risk that's involved there? So for us, and, and our viewpoint, mine is, is, is that we really need to just increase the accessibility of, of of our platform of, of the mainframe, uh, make it so folks who are or are, are going to have to work on this platform have the ability to use whatever tools are are in in favor today. And you know, I don't even like mentioning specific tools because these things, uh, as you're aware, are kind of flavor of the month, year, uh, season. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, as long as we've got the the right amount of, of APIs and and interfaces like command line interfaces let you use your tools of choice we're in a good place to keep it going uh the other thing i'd say is just because all of that logic is on the mainframe that doesn't mean that it's it's closed off with what's going on today and uh, uh, the, the the proliferation of, of APIs that's happening uh you know i was at think last year which i think you were at too <laughs> yes uh, there was a, a really cool session um where one of the large large banks, uh, they they said that they opened up uh, some of their traditional legacy logic, the 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 COBOL logic that runs in CICS, through uh, ZOS Connect APIs, and they published these APIs to the outside uh, out, out of their uh, department, so not just mainframe to all of their uh, their their development folks outside of the platform, and said, hey, here's Business Logic APIs that are available, if you want to use it, go for it. Uh, and they saw that the the number of apps that ended up using these APIs without ever realizing that they were touching the mainframe just grew like hell. Uh, given that that's happening, I think there's there, the, the, the need to the API enable things on the mainframe and in effect, Maybe having to tweak some of the underlying logic that's on the mainframe. That demand is just going to grow. It's not going to shrink. What was really interesting is that your
1: point there, where you know we talk about, I mean, people. There's the whole phrase of API economy these days, right? And and you know when mm-hmm. we think about microservices and we think about persistent storage, uh, non-persistent uh, services with stuff running on a Kubernetes. I mean, Linux is a is a native on the mainframe platform now. You know, Hadoop, Spark. I mean the these things are just – we just assume they're there. And, and there's a project we're going to talk about with Zoe in a minute that uh, we've got some questions on that even make that easier. Um, but it's interesting to say that when you said that, that people didn't know they were talking to mainframe, you know, I often question developers, you know, <laughs> do, do you actually know what you're talking to the other end? Do you know if it's a router or a switch or a server or a storage or compute? You're just talking to an API. You're developing, you know, asking for a route, asking for a, a network interface. Getting some memory, and you know, then I ask them, "Well, do you actually care? Like, why do you care that it's on a particular chip set if it just does what you want? I mean, what are you seeing? I mean, what are the next generation of mainframe developers telling you that they want and need?"
0: You know, that 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 term that we're using, right, mainframe developers. I I actually hope that there's a future where it's just generic term developers, and that uh, uh, just like you said, uh, platform agnostic, where yeah. developers building apps and uh, mainframe, just like any other cloud platform, just ends up being yet another deployment platform, and you shouldn't have to have kind of platform-centric skills to be able to productive to be able to be productive on on, on delivering applications that provide value on on a specific platform. So, developers. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: I'm <laughs> I'm going to stop saying mainframe developers. Actually, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm glad you corrected me on that because uh, it is probably one of the most uh, salient points of this whole conversation in my mind. And I'm glad you highlighted that because. It is so important to stop thinking about platform, isn't it? We don't think about one cloud or another necessarily. We think about endpoints. And I think, if anything, the big iron is an endpoint, isn't it, really? I mean, yeah. so let, maybe I'll rephrase it. What what are, what are modern generation developers looking for for <laughs> platforms? Because I, I think that's the real crux of it, isn't it? What tools are they looking for and, and how are you sort of addressing that? And, and, and I guess also, what sort of conversations are you having with developers and what are they asking for?
0: Sure. Uh, we know... Stack, oh, I I love Stack Overflow, and, and and I'm on there, and I sometimes go there to ask questions, and and the level to which they scrutinize some of my questions is is scary. So, um, <laughs> I'm selective with my questions, but uh, it, you're it a bright kind of <laughs> It makes me continue to feel like I'm I'm still a developer when I when I keep doing those things. So they they do a yearly survey, um, and, and in 2018. Uh, The developer survey showed that uh, as far as editors go, uh, something like Visual Studio Code, not not Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code was number one. Right. In terms of popularity and then people liking it. Uh, And in general, text editors seem to be kind of... Higher up on that list than kind of the the, the heavy duty IDEs like IntelliJ and, and Eclipse and such. Uh, so there seems to be a a pattern where developers are favoring some of these lightweight uh, text editors more so than uh, the heavy duty IDEs. I'm sure they still have their place, but just a trend that we're starting to see. And then on the uh, the languages front, you know, I am of the opinion that that we're a good developer the language doesn't matter it's 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 all the same it's it's the concepts are the same uh it's just just different syntax and such and different uh ways of doing the same thing yeah. but people have their their favorites and what they they like and it's kind of like almost like a religious war and if you look at it now some of these scripting languages right like like javascript typescript uh, which is just a, a level of abstraction over javascript and then uh things like python they are on the most loved list while uh unfortunately if you look at the the most dreaded list cobol is up there and uh and then on the database side uh things like like db2 are are up there and and that is reflective of of the fact that people have to use those technologies today but the accessibility level of some of those things is 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 low right now and and because of that people aren't really enjoying working on it right and and, and that's that's what's got to change so we've got to simplify the interaction with the mainframe kind of make it like interacting with any other platform uh, whether that's Cloud platform or Linux or, or, or thing tools and things that people are used to uh, on other platforms. So scripting languages, uh, these editors and, and and command line interfaces, CI/CD tools. They need to be able to use the uh, the same tools that they would use for building an app that runs on Windows, Android, uh, Linux, cloud platforms, whatever it is. Got to make it the same. So that's that. I'd say that's what they're looking for.
1: It's um the, the, the interesting thing that you said there um, that really stood out for me and I'm making notes as fast as I can with you because you're, you're dropping so many good gems. When you mentioned the concept of a stack, you know, like, um, you know, I think most of the time when I look for people around the world and see what they're doing, they, they describe themselves as a full stack developer. Your yeah. point with regard to, you know, the concern and the focus on what stack am I building on and, and, and your point with, with, with regard to languages I think you're absolutely bang on the money there because you know if you're if you're a new developer and you've only just started to cut your teeth, then then yeah, you'll you'll either work with the the code stack that you've either been taught on at school or university or college or wherever it might be, or you've taught yourself, or you know you've googled a bit of code and made it work, and you know a number of people are writing in PHP because that's what they learnt on, and they have got a web page to respond to them. But once uh, you know, as you said, once once you get your skills and once you become a, a deep Deeply savvy, mathematically capable developer. You don't really care about the code, other than maybe you've got a couple of favourites and you get sick of pointers to pointers in C But um, <laughs> uh, um but you know, I'm, I'm old school and I love messy pointers uh, in C, for example. But um, and it also depends on what you're working on, right? If you're a systems developer, you're not going to be working in, in Ruby on Rails necessarily. Um, but I, I did like the the comment you made with regard to the full stack component, because then then we care less about. Uh, the, the raw details of what's under the stack necessarily and, and the the compilation of what's in our stack. Wh- what are we looking for? Are we talking to a smartphone application? Are we talking to a remote device? Is it IoT? Uh, is mm-hmm. it an autonomous vehicle? You know, Is data streaming at us in real time? Are we getting it in, in batch mode? Are we ingesting it in, in you know, per terabyte per day? Are we getting little tiny packets every second? This is, I think, where the context, for me anyway, comes into because then depending on the problem you're solving, you know, I mean... In the old school, if we if we like, um, in some of these bigger spaces, you know, a lot of the codes running really big platforms, in my experience, you know, whether it's – and there are things we deal with every day, right? And correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but, like, when you think about banking and wealth management and finance and insurance, um, you know, airline booking systems and flight management platforms, everything that runs state and federal government, retail, manufacturing, hospitals, medical systems, bloody defense systems, police systems, transport, logistics, telco, the list goes on. This stuff's on Big Iron. It, it isn't mm-hmm. sitting in the cloud. It isn't sitting in some small environment. Uh, and it's messy and it's diverse. It's been running for decades. And developers have to get messy and dirty, which is why they are going to be full-stack developers and deal with multiple languages. And I imagine this is core to the challenge you're facing, that people are coming to you with multiple languages, multiple stacks, multiple uh, uh, integrations. And, the, and it has to work. It has to stay up running. It's got to have, like, four to five nines. They can't have it down for a week. They can't have data breaches. I mean, these to me, this is the real world that you're probably living in, more than, you know, I'm trying to make this thing work on a laptop so I can share my teacher at school, right? <laughs> um now I'm interested to get some insight in in um I guess, you know, what what's happening around the whole DevOps space that that's probably a big part of your world in in, in this uh these platforms and, and how you integrate with other platforms. I mean you know, when we when we look at software development, we always talk about agile. When we think about how we're implementing this, its development or operations being integrated, um, and a lot of it's at command line, which I guess is part, you know, a big part of what you're up to. Um, give us some insight on in what's happening around your world and what you're doing at Broadcom to sort of empower the next generation developers. To, to stay agile and, and use traditional DevOps, I say traditional, but it's still new, but you know, DevOps in their day-to-day life, uh, how does this integrate with the current platforms and, and other platforms that you're working with that are not necessarily the mainframe stack?
0: You know, uh, we've kind of taken a leaf out of the, 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 the cloud paradigm and said, why can't the mainframe kind of operate as if it was yet another platform which is similar to other cloud platforms but you know believe it or not that's not how this thing started Uh, uh, when I gave my introduction I mentioned uh, that I I shifted kind of from doing uh, system level development on on some of our automation and performance management products and then went over and did some some web development that is kind of where some of this started when uh when i started working on web development i was exposed to a lot of these tools i mean we were at the time we were using a task runner called grunt and we were oh, uh, using uh, <laughs> automation uh uh, testing frameworks like jasmine and such and and then for all of a sudden i, I was told hey if you want to go uh merge this this uh change in you got to do a pull request and then that'll kick off this uh pipeline in in jenkins i'm like what the hell is jenkins <laughs> uh so going from uh you know from doing this assembly and, and and c programming to this this, this world of, of distributed development it's just kind of Opened my eyes, and and from there, we I had the opportunity to, to actually lead some teams that that were going back into doing mainframe development, and that's where I said, you know, we've we've got to start kind of pulling some of these these two tools in, and for two reasons. One, it's going to make us more productive, uh, and there's there's really no, you know nothing technically stopping us from uh, using taking advantage of some of those tools that that made development fun and productive uh, when we were working on web development so we started looking for ways of integrating some of that stuff in and 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 our team was growing and we had uh, we were hiring new folks fresh out of college uh, and they come in and, and, and they start kind of <laughs> complaining a little bit about going over to ISPF and creating data sets there and having to test everything manually. Or or even if they were writing some automated tests, they had to write them in, uh, in mainframe specific languages like Rex or something. Uh, and, and that just, it wasn't enjoyable for them. So one reason was productivity, but, the you know, maybe the more important reason was that, Development had to be fun. I mean, this is, this is a job, but it also it has to be fun for you, and and that's a reason that that kind of drove us to thinking about, hey, how can we continue building our core products in our traditional languages, whether that's Cobol or high level assembler or C, whatever it is, uh, we enjoy writing code in those languages. But when it comes to some of the abstractions, right, so maybe uh, I want to uh, create a, a task to perform the build, or I want to write some automated tests, or I want to kind of wrap my, uh, my process of, uh, of delivery into something like Jenkins, how do I do all those things? And that's when uh, one of the team members kind of came up with this idea of, uh, of uh, a client-side Command line interface. So think, think the the AWS CLI or the 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 uh, IBM Cloud CLI or maybe even uh, the Git CLI that yeah. you install on your laptop and then you're able to interact with uh, Git locally. But then you can also push to some enterprise repository or maybe even public GitHub that sort of thing. So we started building out this 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 command line interface, which essentially was going to let you. Interact with any service on the mainframe uh, from a command line interface, and 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 CLIs are sort of the uh, a very natural way to open up uh, access to to your service in a, in a kind of a developer friendly fashion. I think there's also a cultural kind of nerdy aspect to it because uh, <laughs> hardcore developers don't like using a whole bunch of GUIs. They kind of stick to just uh, using their keyboard, and they claim that it's it's faster. I mean, I don't know how much truth there is to that, the, the the speed aspect of it. But I love the fact that you can automate essentially anything. If you have a CLI, you can write client-side scripts in your language of choice, uh, and and that abstraction layer uh, it really came in helpful with with some of our newer folks who were joining, and uh, that essentially was was the birth of this this uh, this product that I'm a product manager for now called uh, called CA brightside and we uh, decided to to uh, share that that code base with uh, the, the the Zoe open source project that I'm sure we'll talk about later. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then along the way, we also said, you know we have source code on the mainframe. Uh, I mean for us it happened to be on an endeavor. And so many of us coming out of college we we knew how to use git that's kind of what we grew up with and and, and uh we built our own sort of git hook based interface into endeavor and uh we were just issuing git commands and it would interact with with the uh, endeavor on the mainframe as if it was a a, a github server so that's', phenomenal. that's kind of the, the, the story of, of how some of this stuff started and then uh, where we're headed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole conversation there as well. I've, uh, I won't mention the brand, but I've got another organization I work with that uh, we've got this whole conversation in the data science space, uh, and we argue the, the benefits of uh, coders versus clickers. Uh, coders, <laughs> coders with hands on keyboards that like to do things quickly with command line and uh, uh, citizen data scientists who like to use tools and dashboards. But um, And, you know, it, it really depends on how you've gotten to coding and development, I guess. But at the end of the day, you know, underpinning all of this, I think all developers learn very quickly that... <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, uh, getting over a cold. Um, you know, you can instantiate quickly from the command line, and yes, you can still do it with clicks, but I think the more you develop, the more you want to do it in the command line. But more importantly, you talked about scripting and automation, and I think that's where command line tools become very, very important because mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's more messy and difficult to, to, to automate and, and script a series of mouse clicks for a GUI, um, and it doesn't scale very well. Um, now, you talked about Zoe. Now I'm sure many people understand the whole concept behind uh, you know command line interfaces and scripting and automating that whole process and the development workflow. So we might not dive into too much detail on that. But um, I'm really keen to get some detail around a couple of things. Uh, I guess probably a, a business benefit view of kind of what the broad the bright um, side CLI the Zoe world gives us because I think uh, you know developers might understand it, but we've also got mm-hmm. a lot of people listening and who come from a business uh, point of view, and that is that. They aren't necessarily on the hands-on keyboard and and developing, but they they have teams of developers and they see the value of development. Um, I I see the whole bright side CLI uh, powered by Zoe World uh, helping businesses streamline and speed and automate their processes to the point where, when something's developed and tested and run, it can just be automated and orchestrated and run out there. Uh, That's a massive business benefit in my mind as well. Um, What what can you share with, with regard to, I guess, what the whole you know Open Mainframe Project and Zoe? World and your your bright side CLI brings as far as the business impact goes. You know where do organizations gain some commercial and business benefit from this as well as the developers?
0: Sure. I mean, uh, when it comes to Zoe, uh, I, I um, the technology is great, uh, but it's it's really it's not just about the tech. I think it's a it's also about the kind of the the culture shift that's that's enabled by by Zoe. Uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, in the last uh, year or so, when I've been heavily involved with Zoe, there's been months where I probably interacted more with some of my my Zoe colleagues who who work at IBM or or, or Rocket more so than than with folks who are at at broadcom and i'm actually i mean i'm happy to say that i think that sort of thing was really what was lacking on the platform that sort of, of a collaborative effort going on and then from there just some from collaboration uh some of the things that that the linux foundation and and uh, omp the open mainframe project have been helping us with is, is kind of shifting into that open source mindset as well so for our platform this is really it's a kind of a, a paradigm shift from from being a a closed platform for for so long and you know in in my own experience uh, when i was in college uh, when we were learning operating systems there was so much emphasis on on linux and you know this was a time when it Linux was still not necessarily kind of ruling the rules. It was up and coming uh, from, a, from a from a web server perspective, the popularity, but uh, it, was, it was still on even keels with some other platforms. But the reason that uh, it was adopted by a lot of these universities and colleges as as the platform that they Uh, teach some of their courses on was because it was it was open and free and uh and there was a community around it and 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 uh, we we learned a lot of the 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 linux uh insights and guts of it and and then I think that Zoe is going to be able to kind of open that same world up for for the uh, ZOS and, and and mainframe platform, and that should resonate with with the uh, the business folks, right? They should have they should now have the confidence that this platform is going to thrive. It's going to have new people coming in. And, you know, we even have a, a, an open Slack channel for Zoe. Uh, and one of the uh, channels there is, is an academic channel. So we've started getting some folks from, from colleges who've heard about the project coming in and saying, hey, I want to just give this a try. Maybe I want to add uh, a little bit of functionality here and there. I just want to play around. That, I, to me, I think that's what was missing with this platform. And, and, and getting that started, fostering it and helping it grow i think is a, is a huge uh, business aspect of it uh the technology absolutely i mean our our goal uh is to is to make it so uh the when it comes to accessibility uh there's there's the platform has to be on par with any other cloud platform uh, when it comes to automation or uh, being able to visualize things on a GUI or uh, consolidating all these microservices originating from the platform. That's, that's, that's our, our goal. I like
1: it. I'd like to get into a bit of the detail of uh, <laughs> of who the players are in the ZOE consortium as well. But for listeners um, who may not be familiar with what ZOE actually is, I guess it. It's, it's essentially, it's an open source project. I think from memory it sits inside the Open Mainframe project, inside the Linux Foundation. Uh, it, was, it was created by IBM Broadcom and Rocket Software from memory and, and now lives in the Linux Foundation. But I think from memory, like, there's four components, right? There's like the, the app framework, there's like an, an Explorer server, there's uh, an API layer uh, as far as API mediation goes. And then there's the, the command line interface component, which is probably where most of us deal with it. Um, But in in essence, it's just a really seamless interface to deal with the ZOS platform and everything around the mainframe hardware environment that developers don't necessarily have to know what's behind the API. They just know there's compute and memory and storage and network and security and everything behind that. Um, and, And I think it's one of those things where people should be talking about it. It should almost be a boardroom agenda topic saying, well, how are we going to get this into our conversation? How do we get our developers working with it? And how do we leverage the platform? But that's a separate podcast show, but I just wanted to throw <laughs> that out there for people listening who may not be familiar with the Zoe project. Uh, and I think even as late as uh, uh, yesterday, uh, there was a refresh uh, version 0.9.5 had been released, uh, which I haven't had my hands on yet. So this thing's living, breathing every day of the week. Um, tell me a little bit about what some of the consortium players uh, bring to the table. I mean, you've got IBM, Broadcom, Rocket Software, and so forth, and then, and then the family within the Open Mainframe Project and Linux Foundation. Um, give us some insight to, uh, as to kind of what you see in there and who's doing what within the platform. And, and I guess, you know, how they all, you know, how does everyone play together in the sandpit? Because that's an interesting challenge with so many big <laughs> brands and and, and and moving parts.
0: Well, so IBM, uh, I mean, they, they uh, to the benefit of, of the platform, they already had a decent number of uh, rest. Day- APIs that that kind of open up access to certain things on the platform. So uh, there's a, a, a ZOS management facility, or called ZOSMF. It's actually a base part of the operating system, and that. Uh, came with a lot of, of REST APIs, uh, and, and there were growing number of APIs with some of the core subsystems like CICS and, and DB2 and such. And I think IBM was, was quite intent on making their existing uh, ZOS REST APIs more consumable. Uh, and that that was really great. And they wanted to consolidate them. They uh, they actually put some wrappers around these APIs and started uh, modernizing them and and putting Swagger Doc on them so they become more consumable. So IBM kind of brought that API centric view to to Zoe, uh, and, and along with it some of these wrapped APIs as well. And uh, Rocket kind of brought the visual aspect of it. Uh, they were uh, kind of brought this 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 framework uh, uh, kind of a desktop oriented framework where you know uh, Linux was was Command line oriented forever, and I know I I, I love command line, but uh, I, I when I, when they when when Ubuntu happened, and I could actually visualize the operating system. That was cool. I could go in there, kind of move my mouse around, click on things, and um, open up panels, and yeah, there's there's uh, a, a lot more freedom of expression when it comes to applications that can be built out and the information that you can actually share with your user. It just it's a different paradigm, right? And and Rocket was intent on building out uh, a platform and a framework where essentially uh, a lot of the uh, systems-oriented apps, uh, you know, think about uh, you, you might go on to a, a, a 3270 panel and, and, and uh, log into some product and you might go look at all the address spaces that are running or all the jobs that have been submitted and in, in a certain queue. Uh, they wanted uh, to kind of offer a, a browser-based desktop oriented uh GUI where you can start going and uh interacting with some of these these common things that you would with with the with the mainframe platform on there. Uh and then uh at the time CA Technologies now Broadcom, uh we kind of brought the automation and, and infrastructure management aspect of it. Uh and then kind of our strong suit. So uh, uh what I shared before the kind of the the, the genesis of, of Brightside. So we took that and said, hey, you know, client side automation is, is is a driver for a lot of these popular cloud platforms is the fact that you can have remote orchestration uh, without having to even have an, uh, any sort of like agent or something running on the platform that your apps are running in. That's a pretty strong uh, value prop. So we we took that and contributed that in uh, the ZOE. And uh, we've got uh, plug-in development going on for the CLI for various components now. Uh, we have one for Kix, one for DB2. Uh, we're working alongside the IMS folks to get an IMS plugin built out. So. A lot of new, new things going on there. And then the other part of it that we brought in was with IBM being so intent on kind of uh, making the APIs that they've built out on the platform more consumable, uh, well-organized. Uh, we came out with a, with sort of a, an on-platform API mediation layer uh, that allows you to kind of have a gateway, which is uh, actually based on the Netflix Eureka framework. We ported that to ZOS and uh, it allows you to kind of have a single point of entry into uh, all of your your microservices that might be originating from the mainframe platform. Uh, Along with that comes High availability, scalability, and then uh, a catalog as well that helps you visualize uh, all of the APIs that are origina- originating from there. Whether they're kind of service-oriented APIs, you know, uh, some of your performance tools or automation tools, their APIs or the ZOSMF APIs, or maybe you've got business logic APIs coming out of something like ZOS Connect or such, and any of those could be exposed on there. I like it. I mean, I, I do remember.
1: It was a, a, a bit of a, an aha moment, a eureka moment for me when the whole OS management and facility programming uh, guide came out for, for ZOS's uh, OSMF APIs uh, and presented it in a REST format. And it was like, oh, wow, we're <laughs> going to have to write messy code to request things to happen now. I can just do a you know, essentially a traditional you know, HTTP REST request and I can get a, a HTTP status back. And if it's 200, it's good. I've got something back. If I get LTPA token back, I'm okay. Uh, somewhere there'd be a token uh, in the form of a cookie. I can, you know, I can start treating this as a web platform. This is yeah. brilliant, right? And I remember looking <laughs> and thinking, wow, we like, gosh, this is kind of this is not just a game changer, this is a religion changer, because now the whole world of developers who have been talking to REST, you know, public REST APIs on all kinds of platforms can look at this and go, Oh yeah, I know how to do this now. I don't need to go <laughs> and dive into the guts of an IBM Red book to figure out how to deal with this beast. Um, so I, I do remember that distinctly happening, and and watching from from the sidelines of what happened with with all your amazing work uh, inside Broadcom and certainly Rocket and IBM with the Zoe project, just built on that, it just continued to grow the momentum. And I think we're on the cusp of yet another big wave of transition. Now where developers are turning and going, well, I don't really care about the hardware necessarily, although you know I, I'm passionate about it. But what can this platform give me? What can this endpoint deliver to me? Um, or more importantly, the endpoint exists and now I can talk to it in a common format. I think it's a pretty exciting time for us. And, you know, I take my hat off to what you're doing. I, 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 you know, I, I'm so tempted to put my CV forward because I think I like your job, but um, <laughs> I suspect you're doing a far better job of it than I would ever do. So, you know, I mean, congratulations to you and your team and the team at IBM and, and, and Rocket Software, not just Broadcom and what you're doing, because I think you, you're opening up so many doors uh, on, on, on what yeah. developers can do now that we almost need to step back and catch our breath in my mind and go, well, What's possible now with with all of these things at our fingertips because sometimes I find from a development point of view, I'm I'm moving so quickly, I've got so much pace that sometimes it's good to stop and catch my breath and look at what's possible with other things. Now, um, before we wrap up, I I love to ask my guests to uh, grab a virtual crystal ball and take a deep gaze into it and give me a sense of what you see coming up over the horizon in the next three to five years. But specifically in the context of your world and and I guess, you know, what what do you see as the future of application development on this platform and the mainframe and, and all the things that you bring to this? Uh, I mean, there's a whole range of new technologies that we talk about, you know, Node.js and others. And, and you know, the blend between, you know, I guess, legacy platforms like COBOL versus Node.js and, and and what JavaScript to do on the Node platform. And and, 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 and that's some specific stuff like, you know, IBM's open source, um, you know, Node Red for example, with IoT, that's going to become very, very popular. And, and I love it myself. Uh, if you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball for a few seconds, uh, Sujay, where, where do you see us in three to five years with everything you're currently working on and where it's taking us?
0: You know, the the applications that are driving the world economy today, so many of them, as you mentioned before, uh, so much COBOL, so much in, in kicks and all these transaction processing logic that's on the mainframe, that a lot of that is likely to remain in those languages, COBOL, PL1, Assembler, for, for a decent amount of time. Uh, but what probably is going to happen, I think, is, is those things are going to get API-enabled, and they'll probably uh, have a wrapper around them through something like ZOS Connect which uh, turns them into microservices. And because of that, there's going to be some tweaks that are needed here and there, as I, as I mentioned before. So in this new world where, you know, you can run... Uh, Node.js natively on ZOS now, and uh, I think there's going to be a mixture of, of of new technologies like Node.js uh, and 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 uh, people developing applications that run on on the mainframe using some of these newer technologies, kind of running in parallel uh, and being developed in parallel with your traditional uh, COBOL and cakes and PL1 and such, uh, and because of that. When, when people are, are using modern languages and such, they become used to the tools that are on offer. So, you know, maybe I'm going to use just if I'm using Node.js, maybe I'm using NPM. And because yeah. I'm using NPM, I like to use NPM scripts as a task runner rather than uh, going to a dataset members with, with JCL in it and submitting them one by one to do something, I might abstract some of those things into an NPM script and just run it as a task. Yeah, that like might that. might be a common thing with, 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 with Gulp or Grunt or whatever it is. Uh, and then I think more more of the automated testing, you know, it's, it's in its infancy in, uh, on the mainframe side. Uh, I've seen some focus here and there on unit tests, but unit tests, is just, you're just barely scratching the surface. There's 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 integration tests, there's system tests, there's performance and load tests, and uh, there's there's a wide range of, of 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 tests that could be automated in the mainframe world. And when I talk to some of the the, the folks who are actually running these these environments in in, in large banks and such, they 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 admit to it. they say that like uh there's some talks of automation but you know a lot of it comes down to we made the code changes and here's the qa team who's going to jump in and they're going to start manually testing a, a lot of these thing, things and pulling together all these different scripts that they have and maybe running them and parsing the output manually <laughs> that that's got to change i think that with, with the with the plethora of, of of open automated testing frameworks out there like Mocha JS or, or the JavaScript based one, uh, Jest and, uh, or I mean, robot, I think is a Python based one. I mean, these are all asynchronous testing frameworks. You might write the test in Python or in, in TypeScript or JavaScript or something, but you're able to test any product that's running anywhere with, with the help of something like the CLI, uh, you can start using some of these these modern automated testing frameworks, writing mainframe tests. And then, of course, to tie it all together in, in, in today's world, uh, developers, I like to say, are, are, are smart, but they're also lazy. And since when I say lazy, I guess the, the things that are repetitive in nature, they don't like doing that and they're going to find ways to, to automate that in, in the best way possible and and you know CI/CD and, and continuous integration orchestration tools like Jenkins and TeamCity and Travis CI and these kinds of things they make developers lives a lot easier uh, and it lets them automate the things that they don't want to do and so i think we're going to see a lot more adoption of, of tools like that uh, and hopefully with all of that uh, the 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 the, the the specialty and skills that's needed to work on mainframe becomes lower and lower. Uh because you know, if I join a project and if I'm told, hey, here's your tasks, they're in 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 this in the gulp scripts. Just go run them. It'll build the code for you. Deploy it to your test environment and, and and pretty much get it ready for you to test it when you want. If I'm told that and that I can push my code and it'll it'll end up going through an automated pipeline somewhere the it doesn't sound as intimidating to me anymore i don't need to learn in an entirely new platform uh, i'm using the same tools as always the only thing that i'm learning is potentially a new programming language like COBOL, and that's at that point it's not nearly as, as threatening to me as as uh, saying hey you got to go work on this, this new platform that you've never heard of
1: i like it uh, some great insights <laughs> there
0: and, you know, I guess
1: uh, the thing that that I, I, I get from all of that is that, you know, abstraction layer by layer, the more we can abstract what's mm-hmm. behind door number two, as it were, uh, the more we can focus on the code, the more we can focus on the business logic we're trying to write, the more we can focus on the outcomes we're trying to drive, which at the end of the day, as much as we love running code and we love looking at the nitty gritty, the businesses just want the outcome. They just want us to build code, make things work, and, and as you said, automate the testing where possible. And you know, I've got a number of clients that are banks, and, and they're the same. You know, they'll sit there and manually test things. They've got you know, 30 people in a room clicking and pointing and testing things, and then I show them things where they haven't tested because they haven't thought about it, and the test manager doesn't even know that this exists, and then they start panicking and show them where automated testing is going to save them from that and, and then introduce them to the developer team. Uh, I think that you know we've got a very brave, exciting future ahead of us, but but also a safe future. I mean, based on what you're saying there, the more we test, the more we can do regression. The more we can do you know, beating up the code and the data, and more we can throw different types of data at things. The safer they're going to become, more scalable, the more solid and rigid they're going to be. Uh, that at the end of the day, we're going to be putting credit card data and, and IoT data into which I think you know is the brave, exciting future we're going into at speed, at scale. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, with, with the more of these tests that get automated, you're you're able to gain confidence in the in the changes that you're making. Quickly, And as I said before, with with some of these newer technologies coming to the mainframe, I think people are going to automate uh, a lot of the tests that they would write for. Perhaps there are no JS apps that run on the mainframe. If they're going to do that. Nothing stopping them from writing automation for some of the traditional applications that are running on there as well. So yes, absolutely, I think it's going to drive uh, the, the the level of confidence that folks have, and it'll drive down the number of of, of errors and and, and uh, downtimes that we've got, and and that's going to also drive up the the speed at which you can deliver uh, the newer functionality and features. Because if you can get confidence in your changes quickly and you kind of have a track record of not breaking things, then uh, releasing things more quickly just becomes a natural thing to do. Slowly but surely, I think this is platform is opening up, and. Uh, uh, many of our customers, they can now kind of leverage uh, their entire teams are starting to leverage these these open mainframe frameworks and then DevOps and 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 going from whether they're they're newer or experienced, uh, and and community participation is really growing. So Zoe is is just it's it's opened the doors to start doing that, and 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 you're now able to actually influence the direction of the entire platform, right? In the past. You had to be at IBM or, you know, uh, one of the, the conferences that I love and, and I've been going to for quite a while is, is Share. And there's a uh, there's a uh, there's a method through which you can influence the platform at Share. But that but, you know, if you're able to just go on a, a Slack channel and talk to maybe somebody who's a developer on jazz and share with them that, uh, you know, you'd like this 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 thing changed here. That not nothing beats that. Yeah, uh, and, and that's really what I think we're, we're trying to get to. And uh, I would encourage anybody who's listening uh, you know get your hands dirty go go to Zoe.org org uh, and you'll see there's there, there's code on there you can and if you're not interested in the in the coding and build aspect of it that we also have uh, just the, the, the command line interface or the GUI or the apis the, the, uh, they're right there so you're free to download them and and, and go play with
1: them great advice indeed and um, uh, as somebody who's done that regularly and and as I said I think as of yesterday it was a new release uh, it's just come out. Uh, and some great stuff just in the, in the updates and read me notes. Grab it, download it, get your hands on it and, uh, and learn about it and then join the community and just join the conversation even if you just listen for, in for a while and just to learn and get up to speed. It's, it's, it's actually a lot easier to get up to speed with a community sport than it is to do it on your own. Mate, thank you very much. It's been great to have you on the show and we'll look forward to catching you again soon.
0: Thanks a lot.